Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Introduce my friend Henny. Um, yeah, give him a clap. In a few years' time, Henny is going to be so famous. We're going to feel very blessed <laughs> that we had him because um, Henny, Henny is just making headway. God is just really blessing him with an incredible gift of teaching that you guys are about to experience. Um, just a short. Um, uh, interesting historical fact when I was doing my ministry training program uh, it, it was six months I had to stay at show for HQ back then and you did different things connected with pastors just to prepare you for ministry um, Henny at that stage was running Bible school and had his hands um, full with that and, and I'd always just remember Henny with a coffee mug but a big one, just walking across to the kitchen and back to his, to his study. And obviously now you know why we're such good friends, because we both enjoy coffee. Um, but even back then, um, some of you also remember Gilly from Poch. We used to go and sit in Henny's office and ask him questions about difficult passages of Scripture. And uh, I can really say my conversations with Henny has moved me from quite an emotional believer to one that has a heart but now allows scripture to inform my thinking and thoughts. So, Any, thank you for the impact you had on my life. Thanks for being with us today. I mean, he is the main pastor of um, Shofar Johannesburg, and they are doing amazing. Um, Chris and I was there this morning. They planted the church in Santon, which is going great. And when you walk in there, it's just family. Uh, I had a four cups of coffee. They just keep on bringing. Um, so um, I'll be back. <laughs> but, uh, welcome, Annie. Thank you, Werner. appreciate that. Um, uh, Werner uh, really blessed us this morning. He came to, to minister there in Randburg and, and really blessed us. And I hope I can, can bless you guys tonight as well. Um, I've entitled my sermon tonight, Not Just Idle Words. And I'm going to be sharing from um, First Kings. Oh, yeah, there you can see a picture of my family. Um, my wife, Rochelle, and my three kids. They make me look good. <laughs> I, m- I must tell you this. Um, I come from a typical Afrikaner family, uh, second of five kids, and um, we got married. Obviously, when when Rochelle and I married, it was a little bit of a sort of a, a surprise in the family. And um, but my mom and uh, and them really loved loved her. And um, uh, when we started having kids, my mom at one stage, I can't remember when it was, she said, um, "I'm going to have to say this in Afrikaans. Please excuse me." She said. I don't even know how to translate that into English. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try. Um, yeah, so that's my, my lovely family. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be sharing, like I said, from a passage, uh, the first passage in which Elijah the prophet appears in, in 1 Kings 17. You can actually be sharing a bit from chapter 16 and, and, and chapter 17. And um, 
the books from Joshua to Second Kings are commonly known by the theologians as Deuteronomistic history from the book Deuteronomy because those books all the way from Joshua starts with you know with Joshua who after Moses leads the people into the promised land well maybe I should start a little bit before that um, Deuteronomy um, comes from two Greek words deuteros which means second and nomos which means law so it's the second giving of the law so it was Moses as they for the second time came to the edge of the promised land at the Jordan you remember the first time you know, the spies came back, 10 gave a bad report. They believed the bad report. They didn't want to enter the promised land. And God said, you know, you're going to um, wander for 40 years in the desert. Now, after the 40 years, they come back to the promise, to the edge of the promised land. And then Moses again gives the law for a second time, which is the book, book of Deuteronomy. Um, and um, then Joshua leads the people into the promised land. They conquer the promised land. Um, they have a time where they are judges, you know, all the guys like, you know, Samson is probably the most famous one, all the way through to, to Samuel was the last uh, judge and also the first prophet. And he anointed the first king, Saul, the first king. So Israel became a monarchy and then David took over and then Solomon and then the kingdom split into two, um, the ten tribes of the north and the two southern tribes and they went on for that like a while. But things just went from bad to worse and you'll see some of that when we read it in, in First King. And... Um, by the time 2 Kings is written, the last king in 2 Kings is actually in captivity in Babylon. So you have this period from beginning of the conquest to the captivity in Babylon. And that's actually referred to by the theologians as Deuteronomistic history because Deuteronomy so accurately, so amazingly accurately predicts, Moses predicts um, and describes in Deuteronomy before the conquest even starts, he describes so exactly and so accurately what the history of Israel is going to be. How they're going to conquer the promised land, how they're going to be blessed while they're obedient, but then how things are going to go, you know, from bad to worse as they're disobedient. And eventually, if they're disobedient long enough, they're going to end up into ca in captivity in some other foreign land. Um, so Deuteronomy um, described that, and the, and the writers of these books of Joshua to Second Kings basically look at and interpret Israel's history through the lenses of Deuteronomy. And I just want to read you a verse from Deuteronomy. Um, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 32, for those who are taking notes, verse 46 and 47. Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47. It says, and, and Moses said to them, Take heart, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command them to your children to obey, uh, your, your children to obey uh, carefully all the words of this law. Now the children are those people to whom these other books, Joshua and so on, are written and who are now in captivity in Babylon as Second Kings has been written. Um, then listen to what he says. He says, they, the, these words of the law, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So um, God is basically, through Moses, making the point to the Israelites that their very life depends on the Lord. These are just not just idle words, empty, fancy words to them. This, these words in Deuteronomy are their life. And they will either live or die by these words. They will either stand or fall by these words. And the whole of the history following on that, like I said, from Joshua to Second Kings, is the history of exactly that happening. 
exactly that happening. And, and we see two things uh, in Deuteronomy. In, in um, chapter 28, we see at the beginning, it's a very famous chapter, that there are blessings for obedience. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his, command, all, all his commands um, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the, of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you, or even some translations say overtake you, uh, if you obey the Lord your God. But notice what he says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, the blessings will come upon you. But then there are also curses in, in uh, verse 15 of the same chapter. It says, we just see, here we go. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you uh, today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And uh, some of those curses include, um, in verse 23 and 24, let me read that, include the weather. It says, the sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. So, what we see in this Deuteronomistic history is Israel's history either revealing the curse in response to their disobedience and the blessing in response to their obedience. And, and it sort of goes up and down. The pendulum sort of swings from one side to the other um, as they sometimes obey and sometimes they don't obey. So, just want you to think about this today. Blessings for obedience. Curses for disobedience. Does that still apply today? Does that still apply today? I want you to actually turn to each other and discuss that for a couple of minutes. What do you think? Does it still apply today? Okay, I think let's have a vote. <laughs> Who says it still applies? Put up your hand. Okay, few. Okay, who says it doesn't apply anymore? Put up your hands. Okay, there are a few of those too. Who's not sure? Put up your hands. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Um, for those who, especially for those who think it still applies, if you think it still applies, on which side of the blessings or curses do you think you'd be? Remember it said, if you fully obey the Lord your God and 
Obey everything, all the commands he has given you. You will be blessed. Hmm. Right. <laughs> Let's read <laughs> this passage. I'm going to read to you, uh, and I think I did put it up on the screen, um, from First uh, Kings 16, from verse 29. It says, maybe I can just tell you sort of the theme of this, and then maybe you can look if you can see it while, while we're reading through it. Uh, if I had to sum up these stories, you know, the common th- theme for me running through it, and what I'm going to be sharing with you is the word of the Lord always comes to pass. Okay, the word of the Lord always comes to pass. See if you can see it. It says, in the 38th year of uh, Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, had, uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord before all, more than all who were before him. And as if uh, it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house or temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah, or an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho, or rebuilt Jericho. He laid the foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sagub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, as to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, and uh, that was east um, of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So, what I want us to see from this passage, and you can maybe just go to the next slide where I give my outline. The word, if I had to summarize this passage, I would summarize it like this. The word of the Lord always comes to pass, whether it's the word of his word against us, his word through us, his word to us, or his word for us. Okay? The word of the Lord always comes to pass, whether it's his word against us, it's his word through us, his word to us, or his word for us. So, um, one of the things that Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 17, I think it's from about verse 13, it says um, that Israel is allowed to appoint a king, just like the other nations. But then it says that when that king is appointed, he might not be a foreigner, number one. Uh, number two, he must immediately make for himself a copy of the law of Moses. 
this law that is, no, that is not just idle words, and keep it with him all the days of his life and read it every day of his life or have it read to him every day of his life. Now we can see Ahab didn't do that. Because one of the main things that Deuteronomy says is don't worship and serve the idols of the nations that I'm driving out in order to give you the promised land. Don't, don't make idols. Don't serve these idols. Um, and, and, and obey my word and it go, will go well with you in the land. And um, they, Ahab just doesn't do that. I mean, it says... Not only that, he considered it a small thing to commit the sins of Jeroboam, who, who already did, um, he, built, he made you know, golden calves and stuff and set them up in different, two di different places in the country and had the people worship them. Because he was the first kingdom of the, uh, king of the northern kingdom. And he said, no, no, I can't allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to go and offer sacrifices there. I must create alternative high places where they can do sacrifices. So he made these two golden calves and set them up in different places in the northern kingdom so that the Israelites won't have to go, the northern, ten northern tribes won't have to go back to Israel because he was afraid they would defect back to the to the um, king of the south, um, who was a son of David. So he made these, and, and it says, Ahab considered this small thing to commit the sins of Jeroboam. But not only that, the thing that he did that was so much worse, I mean, all the other kings before him did bad things. They did, you know, almost all of them did, did evil in the sight of the Lord. But what he did that was so much worse than them is he married Jezebel, her father was um, Ethbal, who was the king priest of, of uh, Phoenicia. Tyre and Sidon were the two main cities there, and they worshipped Baal. That's why his name, Ethbal. He was a king and priest for, I think, according to Josephus, something like 32 years. And she imported her faith in Baal to Israel. That's not new. I mean, they, the Israelites had worshipped Baal before, but here's what was new. Ahab, under the direction of his new wife, built a temple for Baal with an altar to Baal in Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom. And Jezebel, we learn later on, appointed 450 Baal pri priests of Baal and Baal prophets who were on the state payroll and sent them out as evangelists all over the land to go and convert Israel to Baal worship, and they were very successful. In other words, what they did was they institutionalized Baal worship and took it to a whole new level. I mean, this was bad. I mean, it, it, it's actually, actually, if you're going to read, if I, if I had to ask you, who of you has recently read First and Second Kings in your devotional time? I wouldn't get many hands, because it's a little depressing, actually. It really is. It's, it's, it's very depressing, you know, it's, it's so-and-so did evil in the sight of the Lord and, you know, committed all the sins of his fathers and then some. And so it goes, you know, and each generation seems to be worse. It's like Spurgeon says, both sin and righteousness seem to work on compound interest. Huh? Think about that for a while. Sin seems to work. And if you read First and Second Kings, it seems to work on compound interest. It seems to get worse from generation to generation. And here's what that means to us. Here's what that means to us. The sins you are fighting now, hard as that fight might be, you are not just fighting it for yourself, but for the generations that are to come and for the people around you. 
You are not only fighting the sins, you are fighting now, today, for yourself. And I know the battle is sometimes hard. I know the battle is sometimes tough. But you're not just fighting that battle for yourself. And if you don't fight that battle, if you neglect to fight that battle and overcome those sins, your children probably will have to fight that battle. That's a sobering thought. That's a sobering thought. Think of that as you put on the armor of the Lord and fight this, the good fight of faith against sin. Remind yourself that you're not just, just doing it for yourself. Every sin that you conquer in your own life, you give your children a better chance, a stronger start in life. Because sin seems to work on compound interest seems to increase from generation to generation if it's not resisted. So, we have that um, Ahab doing this evil and institutionalizing Baal worship. And exactly as the Lord said, if the king and the people go into idol worship, then bad things are going to start to happen. And the word of the Lord in Deuteronomy, which unfortunately Ahab didn't seem to read, didn't seem to make a copy for himself, came to pass. So the word of the Lord against you comes to pass. But that's not all, you know. If Ahab was missing, so I mean you have this little thing about Jericho, about the guy who rebuilt Jericho, Hael from Bethel, who built, rebuilt Jericho. Why is that there? I think God put that in as a little case study for Ahab in case he had missed it in his own life. In case he was missing it in his own life. Because in um, Joshua 6 verse 26, Joshua, after conquering, remember what happened? Jericho was the very first city that Israel sacked after it had crossed the Jordan River, right? So they crossed the Jordan River. It opened up miraculously. They crossed... During the flood season, as on dry ground. And then you have this, probably the weirdest siege of a city in the history of mankind, where they walk around the city every day. Once around the city, once around the, with a priest Nohal's going in front. And everyone's quiet. And the guys are standing up there, you know, the archers, and like, what's going on here? You know, we know they're going to attack. And they don't attack, they just walk around. And the seventh day, they walk around seven times. And then Joshua said, now... And they, the priests start to blow the shofar. And everyone starts to scream a battle cry. And the Lord comes and he crushes the walls of Jericho. And they rush in from all sides. Because obviously walking around seven times they sort of spread out around the city. So good strategy. So they rush in from all sides and they conquer the city. And after they conquered the city, Joshua said, let no man rebuild the walls of Jericho. So it wasn't Jericho itself that people may not rebuild. You know, after that, people again lived in Jericho. But they may not rebuild the walls because the walls is what God had destroyed. And what God had destroyed, let no man rebuild. What God had destroyed, let no man rebuild. Joshua wanted the, that heap of rubble of the walls of Jericho to stand as an eternal monument to the fact that it was God that was conquering the promised land for them. And he said, Cursed be the man who rebuilds the walls of Jericho. He will lay the foundation at the cost of his firstborn. 
and he will hang the gates at the cost of his youngest. And that's exactly what happens to Ael of Bethel. Exactly, to the word that happens to him. So if, if, <laughs> if Ahab was missing in his own life, the fact that the word of the Lord against him will come to pass, then he could have just looked at this little case study of Ahel and read the curse that was recorded in Joshua 6 verse 26 and seen the word of the Lord comes to pass. Even the word of the Lord against us. It, come, it always comes to pass. It always comes to pass. But... The good news is it's not only the word of the Lord against us that comes to pass. It's also the word of the Lord through us. So we see uh, Elijah appears suddenly on the scene. It says there, um, you can just bring up that, um, the passage, chapter 17, verse 1. So I've lost my, my place. Um... Yeah, there we go, at the bottom, or close to the bottom. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. Now, just look here. You can see the two people. You can see Ahab and you can see Elijah. The antagonist and the protagonist. The bad guy and the good guy. And there's such a nice, lovely, beautiful contrast in these two people. Ahab is from a royal family from Samaria, the greatest city in the northern kingdom. Elijah, the Tishbite, is from Tishbe. It's such an obscure little city, we don't even know where it is anymore. There's no mention made of his, made of his mother or his father or his pedigree. Probably because he has none. <laughs> so you have this great king with all the pedigree from the big city and this little prophet with no pedigree, no line, you know, family connections to mention. I mean, his city is so obscure, we don't know where it is anymore. And they sort of coming against each other. And all that Elijah has going for him is his name. The word Elijah comes from El, which is the Hebrew word for God, and Jah, which is the a shortened version of Yahweh, the, the proper name of God. And it means Yahweh is God. And his, his, whole, his whole ministry, his, his, the essence of his message is carried in his name, Elijah, the Lord, Yahweh is God. And what I want you to see is it doesn't matter what family line you come from or what city you come from. If you carry the name of the Lord, you can do great things. You can do great things. You don't have to come from blue blood. You don't have to come from big cities. I mean, this is a good place for people from Secunda to say amen. <laughs> I come from Joburg, the biggest city in South Africa. But that doesn't matter. Whether you come from Secunda or from Joburg, it doesn't matter as long as you carry the name of the Lord. You know a messenger's message is only as powerful as the one who sends him. Think about that for a moment. A messenger's message is only as powerful as the one who sends him. How powerful is the one who sends you? As powerful as the one who sent Elijah. The same Yahweh, the God of Israel, the living God who sent him who also sends us. Let us not stand back to anyone. Let us not stand back for anyone because our power doesn't lie in where we come from um, but in whose we are. 
who you are is dependent on whose you are. If like Elijah, you belong to Yahweh, the Lord of the Bible, then you can do great things, no matter where you come from. So, um, Elijah um, and Ahab seem to have this confrontation. And Elijah says to Ahab, it won't dew or rain all these years except at my word. And we see not only does the word of the Lord against you come to pass, but the word of the Lord through you comes to pass. Always comes to pass. Um, I had this story once of a young evangelist who worked in, uh, in Lesotho for a couple of years. And um, he wasn't having much success. He wasn't, he wasn't getting many converts. No miracles were happening in his ministry. Things were sort of dry and quiet. And he was getting frustrated. And he was praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, something's got to happen. I've been here for years and, you know, people aren't getting saved. People aren't getting healed. Nothing seems to be happening. You know, what's going on? You know, and the Lord, he felt the Lord saying to him, he must um, organize a crusade, a miracle crusade. And he must hire a stadium in the capital to have this crusade. So he did this. You know, I, somehow he managed to hire the, the stadium. And he contacted some other, other evangelists who had a track record of you know, getting people saved and doing all kinds of miracles and healings and stuff. And uh, invited him to come and be the main speaker. And he made lots of posters and put them up all over town saying, Miracle Crusade, bring the sick, you know, there's going to be salvations, there's going to be healings, come to the stadium, it's going to happen, it's going to rock. Started speaking to the local churches and mobilized them to invite people and so on. And um, I can't remember how long before, you know, it might have been the day before, the day on the, the crusade, um, when he's supposed to start, this other evangelist contacted him and said, I can't remember even what happened, but something happened, uh, whether he got sick or someone in his family died or something, he just said, listen, I can't come anymore. He was like, oh, you know, <laughs> the people are expectant, they're there in the stadium, they're ready, they're expecting miracles and salvations and all kinds of stuff, and now this guy with a track record to actually get people saved and healed, he's not there anymore. And he's like, God, what are you doing to me? And he was frantically, desperately praying. And he heard the Lord say this one thing to him. Reinhardt, my word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. Go and speak it. And he walked out there and he spoke the word of the Lord. And the sick were healed. And the lost were saved. And that man became Reinhard Bonker one of the greatest evangelists of our time. The word of the Lord through you always comes to pass. As long as it's the word of the Lord, it will come to pass because God's word in your mouth is as powerful as God's word in God's mouth because it's God's word. It'll always come to pass. But if we read superficially, we're going to see Ahab and Elijah as the major conflict of this passage, and they're not. They're not. If we read a bit deeper, we're going to see that it's not 
the human characters that are that form the main conflict in this passage. I want to read you um, just a little something. Um, archaeologists and stuff have, have dug up um, writings about Baal. I remember it was Baal that Ahab built a temple for in Samaria and that he worshipped. Baal that um, you know Jezebel brought across from, from uh, Tyre and Sidon from Sidon specifically, and, uh, you know, the Baal prophets that went out and, and did evangelism for Baal. It says, um, yeah, Ugarit was a city north of Tyre on the Mediterranean coast, so very close to Tyre and Sidon, where uh, Jezebel came from, um, that flourished between 14 and 1200 BC. The text discovered there, in the text discovered there, Baal is depicted as a nature deity, whose primary function and powers in the pantheon encompassed weather and fertility. Baal was the storm deity. He was called, I quote, the rider of the clouds, end quote. He was often portrayed with a lightning bolt in his hand and thunder was identified as his voice. Ancient Syro-Palestine was an agrarian society, in other words, a farming community. And because Baal gave the rains... He was worshipped to ensure the fertility of the land and the production of crops. Since all of life was tied to the fertility of the land, it is not hard to see why it was so tempting to Israel to worship Baal. Describing the impact of Baalism on Israel, Hosea the prophet likened Israel to an adulterous wife who said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Now you're starting to see what the real conflict is. Baal, the storm deity, the rider on the clouds, the one who brings the rains and makes the land fertile. The one who is now being worshipped in Israel. Here comes Elijah and he says, As the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true God of Israel, not Baal, the imposter God of Israel. As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Baal is dead, he doesn't live. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand. You know, it's literally whom I worship, whom Ahab, you do not worship. You worship the dead Baal God, I worship the living God, Yahweh. As Yahweh, the God of Israel, before whom I stand, lives. It will not rain all these years except at my word. And as Elijah is dropping his mic, <laughs> Yahweh is dropping the gauntlet to Baal and saying, I challenge you in your supposed area of expertise, rider on the clouds, storm God, bringer of the rains. I challenge you in your supposed area of expertise. And I'm going to show you up as an imposter, as a wannabe. You see, and this is what God is saying here is to Ahab and to all of Israel through, with his word through Elijah is, what Baal claims to be, I am. What Baal claims to be, I am. 
Every single promise that every single idol makes is a promise that only Yahweh, the God of Israel, can keep. Because every single idol is an imposter. Every single idol is an imposter. And so, here comes Elijah. And he doesn't only drop the mic, but he drops the gauntlet on behalf of Yahweh and says, I challenge you, Baal. And that's the major conflict of this. And, and we see that conflict playing out eventually on Mount Carmel. Remember the story about the sacrifice in the fire from heaven? It already starts here, right at the beginning of um, Elijah's ministry. Now, unlike Israel, unlike ancient Israel, you know, Secunda is not an agrarian society. It's not a, primarily a farming community. So I, I don't think you guys are tempted to worship Baal, right? <laughs> I hope you're not tempted to worship Sor Sauron. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. Okay. I heard, someone told me, a little bird told me that um, some locals refer to Secunda as Mordor. Anyway. Um, what, who are the idols? Who are the gods that people in Secunda are tempted to worship? Quickly discuss that for a minute. Turn to each other in groups of two or three and quickly discuss it. What are the main idols that people are tempted to, to worship in, in Secunda? Okay, I hope you came up with a few good answers. Um, I'm not going to ask you for feedback. You know, you know what are the, the idols of choice here. In Joburg, it's mammon, stuff, and self. Me, you know. Uh, so, we have God's word always comes to pass. God's word against us, God's word through us, but also God's word to us, you know. It's interesting, God says... To Elijah, now go and hide in the Cherith ravine. Because obviously, you know, Ahab and Jezebel, you know, after he did his mic drop, they're not just going to take that lying down. They, <laughs> you know, that's a big slap in their face, you know, just like it was a big slap in the face of their God, Baal. Um, so they were going to hunt him. So he, God says to him, go and hide and I'm going to provide for you. In fact, he talks to the ravens. Even the ravens obey God's word. Uh, there's this funny line in one of um, George Whitfield's, the old Anglican evangelist, you know, of the 1700s, uh, of one of one of his sermons, where he says, "Have you noticed that when we approach the wild animals, they they always the birds screech at us, the dogs bark at us, and the the wild animals growl at us? You know why they do that? Because they know we have a quarrel with their maker." We have a quarrel with their master. The animals are serving God. And, and these ravens, you know, bring him uh, meat and bread um, in the morning, meat and bread in the evening. And what's so interesting, and I, I want to be very quick on this point because I want to get to the last point, is the very same word that condemns Ahab and unfaithful Israel is the very same word 
that preserves Elijah and provides for him. The very same word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to you, to us, will always come to pass. And it's interesting, it's as though Israel has been unfaithful, they deserve the curse, and God says, go east of the Jordan, go out of the promised land to where Israel were in the desert, and I'm going to give you exactly what blessed Israel experienced in the desert. Bread, manna, bread, meat, they got quail, and water. Remember they drank water from the rock. And Elijah, as a representative, as the representative for faithful Israel, experiences all the blessings that are the reward of obedience. But God takes him out of the promised land. But, but he, it's like, it's as though, I mean, he get, Israel got, got manna and quail in the morning. He gets it in the morning and the evening. It's like he gets a double portion of blessing. While unfaithful Israel in the promised land experienced the drought of curse. The curse of, of, of the drought of the Lord which is this big slap in the face of Baal, the rider on the clouds. <laughs> so, we see Israel experiencing the curse for disobedience. Elijah is a representative for faithful Israel experiencing the blessing for obedience. And we see, like a good storyteller, the writer of the book of Kings, not only telling us, but showing us that the word of the Lord always comes to pass, whether it's the word of the Lord against you, through you, or to you. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. But there's a very important twist in the tale. A very important twist in the tale. Who of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense? All the sinners in the house. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I've seen it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's this this it's a it's a bit of a creepy movie about this little boy who sees dead people um and it has this amazing sort of unexpected twist in the tale right at the end which which i mean i i think most people who saw the movie for the first time i certainly didn't expect that twist but it's such an, a surprising twist that you you have to go back and you have to go and rewatch the movie isn't that so you guys have seen it. You have to go and rewatch the movie and see. Does the twist actually make sense? And once you've seen the twist at, in the tale at the end of the movie, you can't help watching the beginning in the middle and the rest of the movie in the light of that twist. Well, you have a similar twist in the tale happening in the Bible, towards the end of the Bible. You see, a few hundred years later, around about 800, 900 years later, there was one time, just one time, when the word of the Lord did not seem to come to pass. Where there did not seem to be blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. You see, Ahab, as the king of Israel, stands in stark contrast to another king of Israel a couple of hundred years later. Whereas Ahab never read the word of the Lord, this other king memorized the word of the Lord. He could quote it from memory. Whereas Ahab worshipped Baal, worshipped false god, gods, when this king was tempted to worship false gods, what did he say? You shall, he quoted from Deuteronomy, and he said, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Whereas Ahab was disobedient and the nation of Israel followed him in his disobedience and they experienced the curse, this other king was fully obedient. But the nation didn't follow him in his obedience and yet he experienced the same curse as Ahab. On the cross, Ahab experienced drought on the cross. This king hung and he said, I am thirsty. He had a crown on his head, but it was a crown of thorns. Remember what in Genesis what God says? By the sweat of your brow, you shall work the land. And thorns and thistles, it will produce you. Thorns and thistles are a picture of the curse. And this king has a crown on his head, but it's a crown of thorns. He experiences the curse. He's faithful. He's completely obedient. In fact, he's the only one ever that was completely obedient. And yet he experiences the curse. He experiences the drought. He experiences the punishment of the law. What's going on here? Why is the word of the Lord failing? Why is it not coming to pass? Not only that, but where Elijah, Ahab stands as a representative of the unfaithful people, Elijah, the prophet, stands in contrast to this prophet. See, Elijah obeyed and experienced the blessing. Whereas this prophet obeyed and experienced the curse. There was no protection for him. There was no provision for him. What's going on here? John chapter 1 verse 14 said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Not only does the word of the Lord against us come to pass, not only does the word of the Lord through us come to pass, not only does the word of the Lord to us come to pass, but the word of the Lord for us, the word made flesh, comes to pass. You see, what's happening here is that this faithful king, Jesus, even though, he was, even though he's the only one, I mean, remember what I read in Deuteronomy 28? If you, are, if you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to obey all his commandments, then these blessings will come upon you. Guess what? There's only one person in the history of mankind that has done that. And this is this very Jesus. The king. Son of David. The prophet like Moses. And yet, he experienced the curse instead of the blessing. Not only did the curse come upon him, it overtook him. And you know why? So that the word of the Lord to us can come to pass. Because let's be honest with ourselves. We haven't fully obeyed the Lord. We haven't obeyed all of his commandments. Not one of us. Not one of us. I was listening to the beginning of First Kings on my audio Bible as I was driving here. And as, so, so, as, as Solomon was dedicating the temple at the beginning of First Kings, he said, Everyone sins. Everyone sins. And he was mostly right. But there was this one who didn't sin, but then experienced the curse. You see, the curse that we deserved for our disobedience came upon Jesus on the cross. And the blessing that Jesus deserved for his complete, full obedience came upon us by his Spirit. That is the gospel. 
That's the good news of the gospel. That we were so guilty that we deserved God's curse, but God loved us so much that he came to take the curse for us. Or look, look at it from the other angle. He was so obedient that he deserved the blessing, but he came to die on the cross so that he could transfer that blessing to us who didn't deserve it. Do you understand that you are so guilty that Jesus had to die for you and yet so loved that he was glad to die for you? Your king wore a crown of thorns for you. He took the curse for you so that you could receive his blessing. So that you could receive his blessing. Let's, let's stand. I want to pray for us. Maybe when I ask the question, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, does it still apply today? Maybe there were some of you that were getting nervous because you thought, yeah, it, it does apply f for today and um, I realize I'm on the wrong side of it. I'm going to experience the curses because I, I don't fully obey and I don't obey all the commandments. And, and, and the thing is, it's not enough to obey some of the commandments some of the time. Or even most of the commandments most of the time. You've got to obey all of the commandments all of the time. And you know as well as I do that neither of us has done that. None of us have done that. And maybe you were thinking about that and getting a bit nervous and now you realize that God made a plan to fulfill the demands of His holiness which requires judgment for all sin and the demands of His love that require the salvation of the sinner. He made a plan to fulfill those demands at the same time. Through the King, the Son of David, the prophet like Moses, Jesus the Messiah, at the same time, and on your behalf. You see, here's the thing that I want you to get. If you approach God based on your track record, you're stuffed. You're stuffed. You don't stand a chance, because your track record just plain is not good enough, just like mine. The only way you can approach God is based on someone else's track record. And there's only one who has a perfect track record, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So I want you to just close your eyes and just focus on the Lord. Is there anyone here tonight? You realize that if God treated you the way you deserved, you'd be in trouble. But God loves you so much that He'll treat you the way Jesus deserved. And maybe you're realizing that for the first time tonight and you want to respond and say, yes, Jesus, I, I want to make that exchange. I want to give you my track record, which sucks. And I, I want to receive your track record, which is perfect. That looks like a good deal to me. And, and Jesus, I, I want to do it not because, just because it benefits me, but because I realize how much you love me. You gave your life for me. I want to give my life for you. If that's, if that's you tonight, 
and you need to make that exchange, you want to commit your life to the Lord, just put up your hand and just wave at me because I'd like to pray with you. Thanks for that hand. Thanks for those hands. Just put up your hand. You see, this, this Jesus, this God, this Yahweh, the God of Israel, He's a living God and He's speaking to some of you tonight and you're hearing Him, some of you for the very first time. So if you're hearing Him and you want to and you want to make that exchange. You want him to save you. You want Jesus to save you. Just, just put up your hand and just wave at me and say, Any, that's me. Anyone else who needs prayer? Thank you for those hands. Don't be afraid. The God who loves you so much that he would die for you would not reject you when you come to him. He said, whoever comes to me, I'll by no means cast away. So I don't want to drag this out too long, but I, I just want to ask one more time. Is there anyone else, if you haven't put up your hand yet, is there anyone else who says, I, I need to pray. I need to come to this Jesus who loves me that much. Is there anyone else? Okay, a couple of people put up their hands. I want to ask you to be bold. I want you to bring your Bible or your handbag or whatever. And maybe bring your friend or your spouse or, or whatever next to you. And just come forward because I'd like to pray with you. If you put up your hand, just come forward. And you're welcome to bring someone with you if you, want, if you like. You don't have to come alone. Just come forward and come stand over here. I'd like to pray with you. Thanks for coming. So I want you to close your eyes and just focus on the Lord. One thing I can guarantee you is that I cannot save you. Just, just come stand over here. Thank you. I cannot save you. So don't, please don't focus on me. I, I, I cannot save you. I need salvation as much as everyone else. One thing I want to tell you is I can see that the Lord is speaking to you guys tonight and you are hearing Him. You are hearing Him. This word of the Lord that always comes to pass has penetrated your heart. You're hearing Him. He has opened up your heart so that you can hear Him. And that's amazing. It's amazing. The Lord is doing the greatest miracle of all in your heart tonight. And all that He wants you to do is just respond. Just honestly respond. So I want you to just, as your eyes are closed and you're focusing on the Lord, I just want you to, to just ask the Lord for two things. Ask the Lord for salvation and ask the Lord for forgiveness. Just in your own words. Just ask the Lord. Just softly under your breath. Ask the Lord to save you and ask the Lord to forgive you. Just be honest with the Lord. Just be brutally honest with Him. You're not going to shock Him. Trust me, He already knows everything about you. And He still loves you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I find that amazing. Okay, I just want you to also just pray after me. Let's, in fact, let's all pray together. Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I realize, Lord, that I stand before you guilty. I deserve your judgment. I've sinned against you. I have broken your law. I have worshipped idols. But I thank you, Lord, 
for speaking to my heart tonight. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place. That you died the death that I deserve to die. After living the life that I was supposed to live. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Lord Jesus, I give myself to you, even as you gave yourself to me. Please save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Save me from this world. Save me for yourself. Let my life glorify your name. I want to be your disciple. I want to become like you. Please give me your Holy Spirit. Please fill me, Lord, to overflowing with your living water. Please quench my thirst. Please satisfy my hunger for righteousness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just stand there where you are. I'm going to ask the guys who are with you to pray with you in a moment. But I just want you to hear this as well. You see, it's not only for those that the Lord is saving for the very first time that the gospel is powerful. You see, so often we as Christians, we obey the Lord. But when we obey Him, we obey Him out of pride and fear and lust. We obey Him in order to avoid the curse. And we obey Him in order to gain the blessing. And you see, the gospel sets us as Christians free. It sets us as Christians free to obey the Lord in a whole new way. Because now, avoiding the curse and experiencing the blessing is no longer dependent on our behavior. On our obedience or disobedience. Because it's dependent on Jesus' obedience. And that means we no longer have to obey the Lord out of fear for the curse or out of lust for the blessing. We can now obey the Lord out of love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. You see, you can now, when you're a Christian and you understand the gospel, you still repent, you still sin. Christians, who knows Christians can still sin? You can no longer enjoy your sin, but you can still sin. <laughs> you can no longer sin in peace, <laughs> but you can still sin. And when you sin, you do repent. But you no longer repent because you broke God's law. You repent because you broke God's heart. And you love Him so much that you, as your Father that you don't want to sin against Him. It's no longer about avoiding the curse and experiencing the blessing. It's about that love relationship with the Father. With Jesus who loved me so much that He gave His life for me. 
Who would not want to obey a Lord like that? Who would not want to obey a king like that? Who took not only a crown of thorns, but rusty nails. An agonizing, excruciating pain for me. And for you. Who would not want to obey him? Who would not want to love such a Lord? Who loved us so much? You see, the gospel enables us to obey our Lord, our King, in a whole new way. Why do you obey the Lord? Do you only obey Him because you're afraid of the curse and because you want the blessing? If you do, you do not yet fully understand the gospel. The penny hasn't yet dropped. It's like a, a coin that has been put in a machine but it got stuck. And you've got to give it a smack. Bah! You know, or the Holy Spirit's got to give it a smack and it's got to go down and king. And the penny's dropping for some of you tonight. And you're realizing, I don't have to obey the Lord out of fear and lust. I can obey Him out of love. Do you want to do that tonight, Christian? Then I just want to ask you, just pray in your own words and say, Lord, I'm done trying to earn my salvation as a Christian. I'm done trying to avoid the curse and earn the blessing. I accept that Jesus has done that for me and I want to obey you from now on because I love you. Because I love you. Just in your own words, just pray that. Close your eyes and pray that to the Lord.